Welcome to chapter 7 of Book Leather, Fact, Fiction and Fabulousness, the reading podcast from St Ninian's High School in Carcantilla. March is International Women's History Month. We've invited Miss Marks along to talk to us about how we are celebrating and marking the month in school. And March is also home to British Science Week, which is why we've invited Mr Shanklin to be our staff star reader. So tune in to find out about the books that he's reading and which have impacted him. We hope you enjoy. We're delighted to welcome Miss Marks from the English Department. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's really nice to be here. You're joining us today to talk to us about Women's History Month and about International Women's Day. So could you tell us a wee bit about what's involved, why we celebrate it? Yeah, well you'll know and your listeners will know that in the school we've been trying to light up different areas of equality and inclusion. You know, looking at different groups of society that are minorities or that are maybe treated less equally than others. Um, So we've celebrated Black History Month. We celebrated LGBT History Month and now it's March, which is Women's History Month and Women's International Women's Day was the 8th of March. So that's our next group that we want to light up equalities of. All through history and across the world, women have been oppressed in many ways. So we just wanted to take a bit of time to celebrate the great contributions that many women have made in our lives throughout history to literature to tie in with World Book Day. Um, so that's the next thing we're lighting up and we're trying to do a few initiatives in school to just to mark the women who have influenced us and inspired us. It's brilliant and it's interesting you mentioned World Book Day because I think sharing the stories of these women is a really important part of the day. Definitely. I mean something that we have been looking at for all of the qualities is the idea of representation and your voice being heard and your experiences if they get out, if your story is shared, then that means other people can understand what you've been through. So we shared for Black History Month, we shared stories by black writers, and we're trying to do a similar thing for, for women in, in International Women's Day. Trying to talk about the authors or the female characters that we are inspired by. Um, so something we asked the staff to do was we created a little plaque for their door, designed by Miss McLean. Um, and we asked them to put up their, their heroine, which could be anybody could be their mum, could be a woman from history, a woman from their life, a woman from art, music, culture, sport. But we also asked them to put on there who the literary figure, character or author who inspired them was. Just to tie in the women's history thing with the idea of there's stories here to be heard and and women have a a part to play in that too. That that was one of the best bits about World Book Day for me, was going through and reading all the different Mm -hmm. contributions and hearing the pupils ask, well, I think one of them was asking Mr Webb who Clayton Bell was. (laughs) That was one of my favourite ones. I think that's really interesting to look around and see what people have said. It's really, really inspiring and hopefully it does spark a bit of conversation. Well, speaking of people that you admire, so who who was your figure from literature and from history that that you admire? Who did you pick? My figure, just in general, my heroine, and I don't think anyone who knows me at all would be surprised by this, is Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, who I love because she existed in a time when women had a very defined role, as women have had up until very, very recently. But even within that, she was surrounded by incredibly intelligent, erudite, mostly men. She also had a really famous mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, who was also a genius. But despite all this, perhaps because of all this, she rose to the challenge. She was 18 years old when she wrote Frankenstein, oh which gosh. is one of the most important <laughs> I know. One of the most important books I think of history. Yeah. Gothic novel, horror novel, sci-fi, first sci-fi novel. But I think in that book as well she makes a lot of really good points about the role of a woman mm-hmm. in the raising of a child and and the influence on a life and how 
important a woman can be. So yeah, I, I love Mary Shelley. She's my favourite. Favourite literary character on a slightly lighter note was Granny Weatherwax from the Discworld <laughs> novels. Nice. Um, I love that she is so no-nonsense. She gets what she wants. She uses her headology to influence people to do what she thinks they should be doing, and she's always right. I love that she can like project her body into animals and fly around and see what's happening. She always has a sign that says, I ain't dead, so that we don't take her away. I don't know, I kind of... I have an admiration for the witches of literature. Mm -hmm. I really, really like Granny Weatherwax. Well, I was delighted when I heard this. I didn't know that Miss Marks was a Discworld fan until she put this on her door. And I've been trying, I've been on a campaign for the last five years to get more, more pupils and kids yes. reading Discworld. So I feel like we've got, got more members of staff. Absolutely. Members. Everyone, if you're listening, you should definitely try mm -hmm. out the Discworld. It's, it's great. Something for everybody in there. But and great female characters. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Well, I thought I might ask you, Miss McLean, who's your who's your sort of fictional character that you that you like? But again, probably no one who knows me is surprised by the fact I chose Jane Austen. Yes. I, I studied Jane Austen as part of Advanced Higher English when I was at school, and I just absolutely love her stuff. And I think she's quite often written off by people who don't read her work as, well, she just writes about you know happily ever after. But actually, she's looking at sort of the economic realism of mm -hmm. the time and of the fact that women didn't have very many opportunities mm -hmm. or options. And one of the things that really hit home with me was the knowledge that in Pride and Prejudice, Mrs Bennet, the mother of the five girls, has a massive problem as it was mm. looked at at the time because there was no son to inherit mm. the estate and mm. she was worried what was going to happen to her daughters and that's the reason why she's so anxious throughout the novel mm. to get them married off and it made me just reevaluate her character because I thought, oh, she's so annoying, mm -hmm. she's really, you know, all these things she's doing to try and, but she was basically just trying to make sure that her daughters were going to be okay mm. in a time when that wasn't guaranteed. Mm. I think it's nice, Jane Austen is one of those writers that when you come back to it at different points in your life, you relate to the different characters in different ways. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm going to just slightly put this out here. I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, Miss McLean, but I'm actually quite embarrassed that we're doing this right now on the podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a massive Jane Austen fan. Don't, oh, wow, let's um, have a fight I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But I think just what you were saying there about coming back to books, I studied Emma at university in my first year and did not enjoy it at all but I actually I came back to it a couple of months ago actually and started uh, I was listening to the audiobook actually and I really enjoyed it this time so I was like oh, wow. maybe I'm coming around maybe I'm going to be an Austin fan in my 30s it's going to be great if nothing <laughs> so, else ever comes out of this podcast but we made Mrs McCarthy back into an Austin fan I know, That's a win. I know. it's so good but what, yeah what was your list of the heroine Mrs McCarthy oh I'm quite glad that I picked this because I feel like there's a, a women's theme running running through this I chose Natalie Haynes it was I think it was you Miss Marks and Mr Kearney who recommended mm -hmm. Natalie Haynes. I started by reading Pandora's Jar, which is about lots of female figures from Greek mythology and Roman mythology who are just basically kind of side characters who don't really get much airtime, if you will, and just giving you a different perspective mm -hmm. on them. I really like the fact that she she clearly really enjoys this. Like she's an expert on it, obviously, but she writes it about it in such a accessible, mm -hmm. funny way. She was talking about Beyonce and stuff like that when <laughs> when she was talking about. I think it was Clytemnestra. I can't remember. Uh, we should get Mr. Webb on. To we should get. I, I actually did. I did pass the book on to Mr. Webb. I was like, you'll really enjoy this. So I really enjoyed reading about her take on the the women's women's characters, but I also really like the fiction fictional version. So a I read about that's next on my list. I read the Children of Jakarta. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I thought it was fantastic, and there's many more that I want to read by her. She's just great. I think so. A Thousand Ships might be one of my favourite books of yeah. the last few years. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm not very good at remembering the books that I think are my favourite. Mm -hmm. Just kind of read them and yeah. move on. But I really did enjoy the perspective. Mm -hmm. So many, there's so many women in Greek myths, but we tend to remember the, the male gods yeah. and the heroes, yeah. Achilles, you know, Your Odysseus, Odysseus yeah. and stuff. Um, like but like it's really interesting to see the 
different perspective told from, from those women. Yeah, and mm. also just giving them a bit more depth and mm-hmm. reasons why they act the way that they act. Like Clytemnestra, again, this is very Clytemnestra heavy, <laughs> but I, I was actually speaking to Mr. Webb about this and the Clytemnestra story, she does something just so terrible, mm-hmm. like so awful, but after reading the chapter, you kind of feel a little bit sorry mm-hmm. for her. And I quite like the fact that they give her a bit of depth and just not justification for why she does, but an explanation of why she may mm-hmm. act this way, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the fact there seems to be a lot, there's a trend for retelling stories we think we know well yeah, from the point of yeah. view of people who haven't had a voice. Yeah, you know? like mm-hmm. there's um, another one by Pat Barker, The Silence of the, mm-hmm. the Girls. Mm-hmm. Mr Kearney recommended that really on good. the book flicks for uh, drama mm-hmm. um, and it looked excellent. Uh, I have a copy, you, you can have it. <laughs> it's really, really good, but that's from about the fall of Troy from the perspective of the women. I think is it Brysis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brysis, um, who's a kind of minor character and it's really, really good, so I will pass that one on to you. Oh, <laughs> it's really good. Which does tie in neatly to what we're trying to do with Women's History Month and Black History Month. It's like the lesser heard voices and giving them a chance to yeah. be heard and for those stories to be shared. That's well, thank you for coming on yeah, and sharing the stories. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> This month we have Mr Shanklin with us to talk about all things books. Um, so welcome Mr Shanklin. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, great to have you here. First thing we're going to ask you, that actually I might just put, put a little thing, we have this little segment called What You Reading? So <laughs> um, uh, instead of asking what book you're reading, I'm going to say What You Reading? <laughs> okay, do you want to say it one more time? Because I what think you, you enjoyed it. I know, if it was a video podcast, I've always said we should have a video podcast just so people can see the fingers. The fingers uh-huh. are really important. But and the actions as well. As, yeah. Yeah, yeah, some sort them. of soundboard as yeah. well, you know, at the radio station. <laughs> Have, you know, yes. just some sort of crazy noise that goes with that. Yes. Uh, what am I reading, or how would you say that? Like, what am I reading? I don't know say that. But anyway, I am reading Wind, Sand, and Stars by French author Antoine de Saint Exupéry. That sounded all right. It was quite mm-hmm. good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mrs. Stafford would be proud of me. Yes. But there was a book actually given to me by our own librarian, Miss McLean. So I've been very much enjoying it. I've only read thirty pages. It is a small book, so I think you must have known me. <laughs> giving me a small book like this, you know. I was like, oh, she knows me so well, you know. And I think it was a kind of, because I did the, the book flicks things mm-hmm. for the science and I'd put an offer of a book uh, for people to, to read and um, it was kind of aeronautically themed. Um, so this one's kind of aeronautically themed as well. Oh, so right. basically, I made a note here so I don't forget, but I have been reading it. It's been very, very interesting actually. And I do like stories, like real life stories and stuff. And this one's been amazing. So uh, this guy is a French aristocrat and it's basically his story of becoming a pilot for initially the French Postal Service, uh, Aeropostale, and basically what he would be doing with him and his other kind of fellow comrades in this in this company was mapping out new postal routes from, uh, from places like North Africa and South America. And um, he was also a, a reconnaissance pilot mm-hmm. during World War II as well. Uh, he couldn't become a combat pilot because of previous injuries that he sustained and the multiple crashes that he had <laughs> during his um, French postal service years. And <laughs> Who so, thought it would be so dangerous being a postie? Like? I know, this is, uh, this is like postman today. They've got it so easy. I, I took a wee note of one of the things because there's a passage here about one of the guys who was who basically one of his kind of mentors, I suppose. He took off to do a bit of a South American passage, basically through the Andes. <laughs> basically this was just a case of go fly your plane, see if you can find a path from here to there and deliver the mail if possible um, so it's <laughs> literally, literally that you know and usually if you know if they couldn't if they couldn't um, radio signal them after you know 10 minutes then everyone just expected the worst 
that was literally it. And then it would just be, okay, well, if they're not coming back, then pack another plane and send the next away. It was literally like that. I'll just, I'll just read this bit just now, right? But, uh, this is one of the guys who's obviously doing this path across the Andes. So by testing the Andes, he found himself at last their prisoner, forced down at 13,000 feet on a plateau with sheer sides. Yeah, he and his engineer searched for two days for a way down. They were trapped. So they played their last card. They launched their plane towards the void, bouncing cruelly over the uneven ground until they dropped over the cliff edge. As it fell, the plane picked up enough speed to respond to the controls. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> Mermoz, which is the pilot, brought its nose up uh, uh, as it headed for the ridge, brushed against the summit, and with water gushing out of every pipe burst by the night frost, crippled after just seven minutes in the air, he saw the Chilean plane below him like a promised land. The next day, he went up again. <laughs> that was him being stuck in the, the Andes at 13,000 feet. You know, the, the hills in the Andes are up, they, they mm. expand to like 22,000 feet. And the ceiling for their plane, so the maximum height they could actually fly was 17,000 feet. So you're literally, they would have to carve a path in between the Andes to reach the, their destination, you know. So it's really, really dangerous stuff. And the weather, obviously, at that altitude as well is just crazy, especially mm. around landmass. It's just, it's an amazing story, and I'm, I'm only on chapter three. But, um, <laughs> wow. You know, and I spent, I spent like, um, that Sunday there with just uh, the sunshine. It was just lovely, just out in the back garden, mm-hmm. and actually just taking some time to have some mm-hmm. quiet time and read it and just switch off. And it was, I just, it took me away. You know, it was, it was really, really interesting. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing more mm-hmm. about that story. Oh, brilliant. And nice to read in the sunshine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wondered, could you tell us about a book that changed your life? I certainly can. It's a bit of a strange one. <laughs> this one is uh, it was my Haynes MG manual. So, oh, you know, the kind of car manuals that you I get. Do, yeah. uh-huh. um, so this one I uh, bought because I purchased a classic car and I was about 24, 25. So I was having my midlife crisis early, um, <laughs> very early. I've always been into cars uh, since I was really, really young. The earliest memory of getting into cars was when my dad sat me in the the driver's seat of his old classic wyvern and i was about three or four years old and then he went away into the house to pick something up and by the time that he'd come back i'd uh, released a handbrake and we're heading, <laughs> heading down the hill on my own <laughs> holding on like, to the steering wheel but i couldn't see over the dashboard thankfully the slope wasn't too steep so he managed to catch up and and dive through the the door to try and uh, to put the handbrake back on from then on i was kind of stuck i quite enjoyed mm-hmm. cars you know and I always when i used to come back from uh, stuff during the Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. My dad would always have his pals around and they'd be working on cars in his garage. Mm. And my dad worked at my grandpa's garage in Renfrew um, for a good 15, 20 years as well. So he was always had cars about him. We used to go to all the classic car shows and stuff mm-hmm. and go out and see these cool cars, especially the old, old American cars that have been imported through here. So like the old police car from the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. That, you know, getting to see that mm-hmm. and stuff when I was just a wee kid. So I was just really, really interested to me. And then eventually when I had enough money, I thought, well, I'll buy myself a wee mm-hmm. car and get a wee project on the go. And, and it was in decent working condition at the time. There was a few wee improvements that I thought oh, I could maybe tinker and do a wee bit here and there. So I bought that manual. And it is well thumbed now. It's absolutely <laughs> covered in oil, and you know everything rusts a lot. And it's it's just been an amazing book because it's allowed me to do simple fixes on things, just to small improvements. And then I decided one day, do you know what? I'm taking the engine out and I'm doing a full rebuild on it. So oh, I just wow. just that. So I, I've got all the tools I needed, and I just four months. I just all the win- all through the winter just decided I'm doing this. Followed that book to the letter. You know, and it was just, it was absolutely brilliant. And um, 
a wee bit on the internet here and there, but that book was just incredible. And having to working through the old, because uh, it was a this cut in the 1970s, so they used all the old imperial tools as well and stuff. So you're getting used to the imperial, swapping that for metric, mm-hmm. you know, from what we're used to now. Uh, it was just amazing. And my dad could get involved a little bit as well, because he'd kind of fallen away from that. But then he came to help me with things. We need an extra pair of hands and stuff like that. We managed to get that completely rebuilt, put it back in the car, and then just that sense of achievement when you start mm-hmm. the engine and it doesn't explode, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, and it actually did work, you know? But it didn't have an exhaust on it at the time, so it was extremely loud. It sounded like a Spitfire. Um, but it was really, it was amazing. And it's just kind of, that book turned a corner for me because mm-hmm. it gave me a confidence boost. Mm-hmm. You know, it says, well, you know, if I've got the right information mm-hmm. and the right tools, then you can, you can do anything mm-hmm. you put your mind to, you know? So it was, it was a really, really good, it was a good read. <laughs> and I could just dive into it, like, mm-hmm. at random chapters here and there. I didn't need to read it, you know, from start to finish mm-hmm. linearly, you know. They could just, I'll do this bit, that bit, that, that sort of mm-hmm. idea. So, when you needed that. Exactly. There's so, something yeah. quite nice about the idea you said about the book being covered in engine oil yeah. and mm-hmm. rust and stuff, about it being a working book. Yeah. Almost yeah. like a cookbook, you yeah. know, yeah. you're using it during exactly. the Exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's still sitting in the car, so it's in the passenger seat, you know, because I know it's always going to be there, mm-hmm. so I just pick it up and just check, and oh, I'll do this, that and the other. But I know it's it's um, it is an absolute wreck, and I've only had it for like you know a few years. But you know that's the thing: the, the most well thumbed books are usually the most interesting yeah. ones that you can tell. If you look at a library and you can mm-hmm. see, oh, that book's in immaculate condition. It's probably because nobody's really read it. That sort of exactly. idea. So it's good to see books that are maybe you know a bit kind of threadbare. That sort of idea because you see, oh, that might be an interesting book. So if you ever go to a library, find the books that are probably in the worst condition because they're probably the most interesting. That's what I think. That's So you said that book was one that was very well thumbed. You've read yes. a lot. What about a book that you couldn't finish? Um, I, I, well, this is the thing. I would say all books, <laughs> any book that I start, I probably won't finish it. And I think for me, and especially because the fact that the, the book that I'm reading just now is very, very short, I will finish this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, 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 I'm saying to myself, I will actually finish this one because it is really interesting. Most books that I read aren't really linear in nature. They're, they're books that I can just like dive into, like a random chapter. I'm going to read chapter 10 today mm-hmm. or, or go for chapter two just and because I never, I never read anything that's going to be that sort of linear storyline. Mm-hmm. So the book I'm reading just now is the first one that I've read, like a linear storyline since I was at school, I think. Oh. So it's, it's, a, it's a big thing, <laughs> a big thing you brought me into here. <laughs> My attention span isn't particularly good, um, so just doing short chapters at a time really does help. I was the kid at school who would, um, when you were asked to go and pick a book in the library, I'd pick the Guinness Book of Records, and <laughs> sure, I would just yes. I would just go through that, oh, look at that, you know, the world's tallest man and that sort of stuff, and just those wee kind of snippets of information, I always liked to take in information, but never kind of had the attention span to read mm-hmm. a full book, and that was always a difficulty for me at school. So yeah, I much, I much prefer like a, a non-linear book mm-hmm. where I can just dip in and out when I want to. But I think that's one of the things about reading for fun is mm-hmm. like read the way you want. Mm-hmm. So if it's because I say that to the kids all the time when I'm doing non-fiction books, I highlight whether it's one that you can dip into or not, right. so that you don't need to read it from start to finish. Because uh-huh. a lot of pupils think you've got to. That's mm-hmm. how you have to read books. There's yeah. no other way to read them. Yep. And I think sort of reinforcing that's a good. And the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm actually using that tomorrow when yep. P sevens are coming up. <laughs> <Thanks> <laughs> it just starts conversations and things. It does. Like that. But it's also it. it's also stuck with you as well. That's something like I mean. If you ask some people what they read in high school, some people probably won't remember. But the fact that you were like, "Well, I read the Guinness Book of Records," and that's you remember it. you did, so it's you know, it's what you enjoyed, it's what you got out of it, and that's 
same thing, I think, as long as you enjoy it. Yeah, it's Wicked Echoes, like 1995 to 2001 or something. That was a good six years for me. Um, but no, no I just, that's it. Um, for me, books, like like you say, you should be able to just dip in and out of books, and there will be books that, that can cater for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think most of my bookshelf is books that will certainly do that, you know, just kind of... You can pick it up and just read a wee chapter and then think, well, that was quite good. I'll maybe save that for another time, you know, and that's that's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. I like that's like pick and mix or something. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, exactly, that. that's it, yeah. yeah. Um, so from a book or books that you couldn't mm-hmm. finish to your favourite book. Right, I've actually, I brought it here today right. because there's a few th- interesting things in this. It's called uh, What If by Randall Monroe and it's uh, serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions. <laughs> I, sorry, I I um got recommended that by a second year. And right. I that's a brilliant. Book. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's a really really good book. Um, so it's uh, by Randall Monroe. This is one of these kind of non-linear books. You can just open a page and there you go. So first first question comes up: steak drop. From what height would you need to drop a steak for it to be cooked when it hits the ground? Right. So who, who comes up with the questions? That, just random people. So basically, this is this is like a book that's made up of um, like uh, newspaper articles. Right. So it's like a column. So this guy does like a, a newspaper column and people will put in the questions. It's kind of like a, you know, the kind of agony ant kind uh-huh. of things, you know, and uh, they'll just ask a question and then he'll try and explain, <laughs> you know, if it's a viable <laughs> one, how, how that would actually work, if it would work, you know. So this is a collection, really, of his kind of work from those columns. And there are some utterly bizarre questions that people have asked. One of them was, how long would you have to cry to dehydrate yourself? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite morbid. You know, I was just thinking, what's wrong with this person? It's obviously not the happiest time in his life if they're asking that sort of question. But I mean, other things like this one was quite interesting. What would happen if you made a periodic table out of cube shaped bricks where each brick was made out of each of the actual elements? Yeah. Nothing good. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> you know, the short answer is nothing good. Um, but no, it really goes in depth into each of the elements and what they would actually do if you had a cube of that kind of size of each of the elements. and how they would react with each other and stuff. So it's, I mean, it's, and, and the explanations themselves are maybe three, four pages long maximum. So again, it's that sort of, oh, three, four pages, that's all I'm invested mm-hmm. in here. This could be something that you could be doing like if you're on the bus mm-hmm. or on a train, you know, that sort of thing. It's a short journey or you're on the toilet, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> this is a great book to have for like if you get people around and, you know, just leave it in the toilet and they'll just, oh, what's that? And just pick it up and then just read, a, you know, a small chapter of it, you know. And uh, because it's this, the information you get from this, it can some of it can be colossal, you know, and there's the, it goes into a bit of maths and stuff like that. But the author does a really good job of trying to simplify things down to you know layman's terms, and and, and but still put the you know that across. It. Hey, that's actually really quite interesting and really involved. But it is a fantastic book, and I think I've still if not I haven't finished it. You know, this is the thing because I keep going in and out and in and out, and I might even actually pick up something and go, I need to read that again. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I didn't quite get that. It's just like the description of chromosomes by Dungeons and Dragons, <gasps> oh right? So gosh. basically, it talks about like different characteristics that <laughs> uh-huh. you know people would have in the in, in the game, you know, and and tries to explain it through Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. you know, characteristics. Yeah, I thought that was quite good, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, again, very very involved, and I've read that a couple of times to try and get the gist of it. But some fantastic stuff, and there's diagrams and pictures, and I always like diagrams. Yes. Always telling that. Students, draw a diagram if you're unsure about what's going on, because diagrams definitely always help. From favourite book to favourite writer, so who would be your favourite writer? Same guy. The, the guy that wrote this, Randall Monroe, kind of give you a bit of background behind this. So he actually worked for NASA for a while before he became an author. 
Uh, he worked in the robotics industry, so at NASA, so he worked at the Langley Research Centre for a few years, and then he decided to leave all that and start an online comic strip, which is XKCD. <laughs> if you're familiar with that, it's brilliant little kind of one-liners. It's kind of like the wee things you get in the newspapers, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and it's usually it's scientific context, that sort of idea. But he does, he does other things as well, but that kind of online comic strip, it was one of my friends at university, he used to religiously log into the computers, because this was kind of before smartphones were a, a big thing, so when we went to uni, computers were, that's what we you know, we used, so log into the computer, and then he would always check XKCD website just to see what the kind of comic strip of the day was, you know, kind of like Garfield, that sort of idea. <laughs> and, um, and then he would get to his work, you know, and I was like, what's he actually doing over there? So, like, oh, okay. so that kind of got me interested in him, and then uh, just randomly, I was in a, a bookshop in Glasgow, and well, my... Uh, now wife, she was uh, stoning about in another shop. I thought, I'll go in here, see what's see what's going on in the bookshop. So, and I found this book, the What If book, and I thought this is this is brilliant. And so I looked into Random and Rose other stuff. So he's done he's done a few books. He's done the Thing Explainer, which is essentially complicated stuff in simple words, which is a brilliant book, really really good. How to, which again is absurd scientific advice for common real world uh, real world problems. You know things like you know climbing ladders and all that sort of idea. Just totally goes to town and really just explores the mental science behind simple, simple <laughs> things. And What If 2 is out this year. Oh, so this is coming out in September this year. So I think you can pre-order it now. He also has an asteroid named after him. Does he? Yes. So the that's, asteroid's called 4942 Monroe. And it would technically be large enough to cause a mass extinction if it did hit Earth. I mean, wow, so, I, I would love to have an asteroid named after yeah. me. That's, that's, that's <laughs> this, this, this author is technically out of this world. Um, <laughs> so, and he does hold a certain gravitas. <laughs> I, I, I just wonder, how did he get, an, how is an asteroid named after him? How did that happen? Did I don't know. Did he request it? Did I don't know. I think it's, it? I, honestly, that's, I, I've not looked into why. I think I should, because I'd like to get an asteroid named after me. Ah, maybe there's, yeah, maybe it's like buying land on the moon or something like that sort of thing, you know, or getting your kind of mm-hmm. like piece of lawn somewhere in some sort of mad castle, you know, that sort of idea. You can just like buy these things online, so maybe that's what he did. Maybe he just bought it. Mm, it has to be quite pricey if it was one. It could cause mass extinction. Yeah, it's probably quite sizable. Yeah, a good, a good, a good amount of real estate. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming. Thank no, you thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. No, okay. certainly enjoyed that. It's been fun. <laughs> Time travel with a hamster. I've been looking forward to talking about yeah. this book. <laughs> it's so good. I, when when you said we're going to read this book, I was like, "What on earth is this?" But it's such a good book. I'm trying not to use my usual my usual travel. I love this book because I do love it, but it was excellent. So, how would you describe the book in a single sentence? I started off with writing sounds ridiculous, but a truly heartwarming story of courage and taking risks to help your family. That's yeah. what I thought. Absolutely. And it, it does nail that. It is, it is a wonderful story about time, family, science and memory. Yep. And uh, I know that we're talking about British Science Week and we've had mm-hmm. Mr Shankland on. He was talking about that. But it's a brilliant fiction book that mm-hmm. weaves in those those themes. Yep, definitely. And courage is definitely needed in it. I thought it had, and that's something I'll come back to about the, the memory uh, mm-hmm. later on. But I just like how he wove together science and the different facts mm-hmm. in it. But weaving it in with a character that we're really rooting for. Yeah, yeah, great character. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are your thoughts on the title Title then? I just, I've said this before, I'll say it again, I love titles that do what they say on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> so, Time Travelling with a Hamster. Yeah. I, I've been talking to classes last week and this week about British Science Week, right. and I've been talking about time travel because in terms of physics, it's one of my most favourite 
topics. Yep. Uh, so any book that says time travel, and I'm already sold on it. Uh, so I love the fact that was in it. Plus, I just love hamsters. Oh, I know. I was thinking of Miss Marks when we when we were reading this. I was like, <laughs> she will love this book. I actually said to her before we recorded this, I was like, we're reading a book about called Time Traveling with a Hamster. You'd love it. Like you'd absolutely love it. So. Oh, and hamster plays a big role in it. Uh, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. It's does. not not a token hamster for nope. the title. <laughs> um, what about you? What did you think of the um, title? So, yeah, I kind of, I, I sort of said, again, sounds re- ridiculous, but it's fun and it reflects the humour of the book because it is a book with a lot of heart, but it, I found it really funny. Like, the, the narrator, Al, just has this really great sense of humour without intending to be funny. Like, some of the things that are said, it just makes me laugh a lot. So, yeah, I, yeah it, I think it reflects the humour very well. Mm-hmm. Ross Welford, who writes this book, he, his books are absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic, but they balance comedy with heart yeah and quite in serious in serious issues as well um, Mm and which is good to see and it it deals with it it deals with the serious issue of kind of loss and grief in such a really nice accessible way as well though and relatable way for a lot of people which which i really liked as well exactly and and on that theme maybe for listeners that haven't heard um the book before the the subtitle is my dad died twice but only the second time was my fault and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah as you say it balances serious theme with comedy and you wouldn't think they would be naturally going together yeah. but it just works it, yeah it works so well do you have any who's a standout character for you two standout oh, characters oh two right okay um, Alan Shearer the oh. ha- the <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love Alan Shearer it's amazing so for our well actually will people know who Alan Shearer yeah well we'll know who he is but will our younger oh, listeners I, know I would who hope Alan so Shearer? but I suppose we better explain who he is just yeah. in case so well this is a, he's a footballer Newcastle, Newcastle United. United yeah did he play for England as well I'm pretty sure he played for England. Yeah, so a very famous, well-known uh, football player, and that's who the hamster is named after. I don't think, did he really want to call him Alan Shearer? No. No, it, it was suggested by his stepdad. Yeah. So he decided to go for it because I thought, I think he thought, might as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't think I don't think he wanted to offend him um, too much. It's a kind of a difficult relationship with his stepfather. Like, the stepfather really wants to bond with him, but... Al is a bit reluctant to, but I still think he's a really nice character because he wants to, he doesn't want to hurt his feelings and he's very aware of his, his feelings even though he's not completely doesn't completely like him or kind of trust him yet. But yeah, I like that he called he called him Alan Shearer. Um, it's got to be one of the best <laughs> names for a hamster I've ever heard. Hundred <laughs> percent, Alan Shearer. <laughs> oh, I think that's I think that's up there. Yep. <laughs> uh, so he he was definitely my uh, standout character, but uh, Grandpa Byron. <gasps> Me too, me oh, too, yep. Who is, who, so Al, the wee boy who is the main character in the story, has got a really close relationship mm-hmm. with his grandpa, who, Al's dad, it's his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how it goes through. And I just, I love the way that he looked at the world. Yeah. Very, I don't know, he was very different to lots of other characters. Mm-hmm. He was very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't, doesn't really approve of the idea of time travel. Yeah. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. So that there is this sense that, um, right through the book that Al can try and try and save his dad mm-hmm. through the medium of, of time travel and at the bit where his, his granddad is involved in it mm-hmm. I thought he had really wise words in yeah. pencil yeah. I said something similar as well I actually the first thing I loved about him was his description so I'm actually going to read a little bit of his description so this is the first time we meet Grandpa Byron and I just loved it because you can just picture him so vividly in your head I open the front door and he's standing there in his long saffron coloured robes, grey hair in a braided pleat, little round sunglasses and huge biker boots. Under one arm, the bad one, he's holding his motorbike helmet and in the other, the good one, is a birthday card in an envelope. I just love, I love the, the vision of the robes, the sunglasses and then these big boots. Like, I love it. Just so individual. And has he has his little moped that he, he goes about on, which I love as well, which is great. 
So the first thing I think he's very cool, but I like I also love the fact he's a writer as well and is passed is, is trying to pass on his knowledge to Al through um through the book. Al finds the book quite hard to read, but is you know Grandpa Byron kind of keeps kind of trying to encourage him to read it and you know teaches him about memory and I also love that he describes he talks about the mind palace reminds me a lot of Sherlock which I thought was cool and also I'm trying to learn the the memory that do you remember the, the bit where he's he, he lists all the kings and queens of England yes and um, so I've started it I'm not going to recite it here because I will get it wrong but I'm determined <laughs> that I want to learn it but um yeah he's got great little mnemonics to help people uh, remember things I think, like you said as well, he's so wise, and I think he's very intuitive to, uh, too. I think Al thinks he's being quite secretive, but Grandpa Byron knows that something's going on. And I think, I, I like the fact that he kind of disapproves of the, the whole time travel thing, because I think, I understand why Al's father, Pi, wanted to wanted him to try time travel, because he wanted more time with his family, but it's so much responsibility to put on a 12-year-old, so I quite like the fact that Grandpa Byron's kind of aware of that and he's trying to he's trying to protect him and trying to help him but Al doesn't quite see it that way and I can see both sides but I like that uh, Grandpa Byron's looking out for him from a standout character to standout moment what did you choose? So it's not a spoiler to say that there is actual time travel yes. in this book um, and more than one occasion of it and my most memorable moment is a moment in which you think he's going to be trapped Oh, that's and, the same one and, <laughs> um, without giving away the ending it just it feels like there's no way mm-hmm. I can't think of a solution and I just I love the description of it because so much happens in the mm-hmm. book so see when I was thinking of a most memorable moment there was lots of different ones yeah. jumping in and a lot of them featured Alan Shearer the hamster mm-hmm. of course um, who also goes rogue at different <laughs> points <laughs> it's just great it's such a good character and part of what I had to do throughout reading it was thinking where is Alan Shearer now? <laughs> Does he have food? Does he have what? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> exactly. I'd love to read this book from the perspective of, of Alan Shearer. Oh, I think it would be a good can, read. Can you please tag Ross Welford in this? Like, <laughs> can you write, you know, the alternative book, please? That, yeah, I'd, I'd love be that. short story. I think oh, it'd be, be great. great. Yeah, it'd be so good. I actually put the same standout moment as well. I found it really funny. It was just the way it was described. It almost, I, I could picture it in slow motion. And without giving any spoilers away, something so simple happens, but also incredibly relatable. I think I've been there before with technology and what happens. And just the sheer panic he feels. And I felt the panic. I was like, oh, what's going to happen to him? And also being stuck in 1984 as well. While there are cool things about that, like, I don't know. I feel like society, we've progressed a lot as a, as society. And, you know, I don't think I'd like to be stuck in 1984. Um, Knowing what we know now, yes. I think it would it would be <clears throat> a culture shock to yes. be in 84. Absolutely. But yeah. Um, so I think we will always finish up with, with wild cards and I think you, you gave me a sneak peek yeah. of yours. So, so should we kick off with, with yours? Or? Yeah, so, right, so well, my first wild card, well, it's not very wild because we talked about it, but Alan Shearer, the hamster, obviously, we love Alan Shearer. Um, but my favourite, one of my favourite things is the Geordie accents. I love the fact yeah. it's set in the north northeast and um, because we don't, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't read too many books set in the northeast. I am obsessed with the Geordie accents. So see when like his mum's talking and she's like, ee, well, <laughs> and uh, how am I, and things like that. And I've actually <laughs> written down some of the ones I was like, had on, had on. Like I can't. Obviously, I'm not a Geordie, so I can't do the accent. But I really liked that. I just I thought it was a great aspect of the book, and really, really enjoyed it. Well, I actually had a wild card question for you that I kind of sprung on you before this. <laughs> but right, so if you could time travel anywhere to any time, so future, past, whatever you want in the world, in the galaxy, you choose. Where would you like to go? <laughs> See, this is a tough one. One of the things I actually quite liked about. The book is that you can't time travel within your own lifetime. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to use that 
I would go back to Tudor England (laughs) (laughs) because I I got obsessed with uh, the Mm -hmm. Tudors, you know, the horrible history series. I got the terrible Tudors and uh, I remember doing a project on them Mm -hmm. in primary school and uh, I even remember my dad helping me build a model Tudor cottage (laughs) with like properly thatching the roof and everything. So I think I'd like to go back just Mm -hmm. to see what it what it's like but just not even to sort of see like an event or anything just to kind of I, I imagine it would smell pretty different uh, well yeah that that was my so I actually really wanted to go back to uh, to watch a Shakespeare play at the Globe oh. like the first like the first Globe something like Macbeth or something or, or Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet I don't know something like that but the thing that puts me off is that it would absolutely it would reek because um, it's like London in the you know the, the 1600s like 15 1600s I just yeah I, I don't know if I could cope with that so if I had a very strong clothes peg or something that or if you could take this my sense of smell away just for that type I think I'd be okay with it but yeah so part of me kind of thinks I'd maybe go future just to see see what would happen part of me hopes that maybe that will split into like different planets so they'd be like a planet of readers a planet of something like whatever you want so i would go to the reading planet and it would be wonderful <laughs> and quiet <laughs> it'd be great what about companion that, that's, that's a tough one it's hard to think of a better companion than alan shearer the hamster but uh, i don't know i think i'd probably want to take my twin sister with me mm. it's always better to have uh, more than one pair of eyes and i'd need someone smart so that if something went wrong with our technology mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back. That's, yeah that's that's a good point actually who would you some... take with you Mrs. McCartney? oh i would probably take my dad because my dad is he's very very handy so he can build pretty much anything he helped decorate our house like he's so handy so i was thinking more of the technology line so if something went wrong like he'd be able to fix things because the last thing you'd want is to be stuck in smelly shakespearean england i mean but mind you it would be good but just i, I couldn't cope with that smell Definitely no, you definitely not. need someone who can repair it and mm-hmm. yeah, enjoy the trip with you. Definitely, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So did you have a wild card that... Well, it touches on what you said earlier on, Grandpa Byron mm-hmm. and the kind of the mind memory palaces is an actual technique oh, uh, right. for remembering uh-huh. things. And I, love, I loved its description in the book. So you get people who can remember the order of a deck of cards because they place each card in a room, for example. Mm-hmm. So say you use the school as a, as a place and you can visualise it really clearly. If you place a playing card in each room, mm-hmm. so okay, there's a there's a playing card in the library. There's mm-hmm. one in Mrs. McCarthy's room. There's one in Mr. Shanklin's room upstairs. Oh. You can remember the order because of how you would get around the school. Oh, that's um, cool. And uh, I've never tried it before, but I'd love to. I think if you really practice mm-hmm. it, you can use it as a technique for remembering things, yeah. which is quite useful if you're trying to remember things for exams, yeah, for example. Yeah. But I love the fact it made it into into the book because yeah. it's a fact I'd known, but then seeing a character who practiced it throughout his life mm-hmm. and then wrote a book on it was really interesting and it obviously pays off for grandpa byron because he's very good when they was it what, what shows is it that they watch um can't remember it's like a mastermind type thing yes. but they ask lots of questions and he's just rhyming off all the answers he knows everything i mean he knew everything about music uh, films books dates from history like he knows so much so clearly worked for him and even in his own life as well i love the fact that it described you know if you asked him what he was doing on you know wednesday the 18th of august 1990 uh-huh. he knew exactly what he'd been doing magic uh, yeah i feel like we feel like there's our memories don't have that much capability if you know what i mean but it just shows the power of the minds and it was just he chose one good thing about each day and it was always a positive memory i just thought that was a a brilliant Mm -hmm. idea great book is it in the library it's in the library it's also on the ebook platform Mm -hmm. as well and as well as this Mm -hmm. book ross welford has written other books including thousand year old boy and um, what to do if you turn invisible so all with science yeah As always, it is time for what you reading. What you reading? <laughs> I read the book Hamlet. Uh huh. 
can't remember if I've featured this on the podcast mm-hmm. before, but even if I have, it's probably worth mentioning again because it's a book that's really mm-hmm. stayed with me. You were talking about Shakespearean mm-hmm. England and about the globe and uh, Hamnet is written by Maggie O'Farrell and it looks at what happened to the family of Shakespeare mm. because he had a son called Hamnet okay. with an N mm-hmm. and the two names were interchangeable and Maggie O'Farrell ran with the idea of the play got written four years after his son passed away mm-hmm. about what his life had been like and it made me completely reevaluate his wife and his children mm-hmm. and I thought that was a wonderful thing because you think you know yeah you think you know historical figures from the stories that come through but you, you do think well whose stories get told mm-hmm. and who tells them and about the things that don't get passed down um, and I just find it a hugely moving mm-hmm. and just a wonderful book I think it won the women's prize for nice. fiction uh, really, really good. I do. Fa- I, it's on my list. So I do fancy fancy reading that. So I've, I've got it in the house. So I will. I'll add that to my. I think I've seen a few pe- pupils reading it as well. I've heard really good things about it. So uh, it's yeah. appeared in the library a couple yeah. of times over yeah. the last few weeks. So it's been good mm-hmm. to see. What what book is it you're reading just now? Um, so I've just started Regeneration by Pat Barker, and it's basically it's a series of of short, not short stories, but a series of short novels about survivors of the First World War. And it's written from different perspectives. So um, I think there's one story about a soldier and what he experienced during the war and how he felt afterwards. But one of the stories is from the perspective of a psychologist who helped treat PTSD and things like that. So I haven't started it, but I'm looking forward to, to reading it just for something a little bit different. What about what you watching? <laughs> I am watching a programme just now called This Is Us. Oh, yeah. I've it's, heard it. it's on Amazon mm-hmm. and it's... I feel I feel bad about saying this is an historical piece now because it's set in the eighties and nineties, mm-hmm. which is when I grew up. But it's a kind of a flip of family that grew up in the eighties and nineties, mm-hmm. and then what they're doing now. And I just I like mm-hmm. it. It's quite schmaltzy in places, but uh-huh. it's just it's really good, and I like the acting that's in it, and it asks some great questions about family and about mm-hmm. about what we remember as we get older. What about you? Comfort watch for me. Well, I say comfort watch. It's not that comforting. It's I'm watching rewatching Stranger Things. So the new series of Stranger Things is coming out relatively soon. I oh, think. Is it? Yeah. Um, I want to see. It's definitely the summer. I'm rewatching all the old episodes. Just I just love it. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's so so good. It's terrifying. Um, I love the characters. I love the Dungeons and Dragons element. There's so much to love about it. So I'm looking forward to watching series three. Is probably my favourite one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's the end that gets me. So I, I don't think I'm quite emotionally ready for <laughs> to get there. Um, but I want to rewatch it. So just so I'm, I can everything's fresh in my mind for watching series four because it's probably one of my favourite TV shows. I'd say. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Book Blether and we look forward to you joining us next month. Until then, keep sharing stories. Thank you.